Welcome to the Truth CSGO Podcast, episode 93. This episode we're going to be talking about Zipix taking a break from Australis, a couple of other roster changes, a little bit of a chat about Blast, Dreamhack, etc, etc. And then we're going to be having an interview with The Junglist about how to improve CSGO. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Fair. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth CSGO podcast. The truth CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? Welcome to the podcast coming to you live from downtown Sydney. I'm supposed to be heading back to Atlanta in a couple of weeks, but I'm not sure it's going to happen because it's hard to shoot a film in the middle of a civil war. I spoke a couple of episodes ago about the way growing up in Australia felt like you were the distant, uncool cousin of the UK and the USA, and how culturally speaking the USA felt like our absolute touchstone over here. They gave us the Simpsons, Nike and Michael Jordan, Jurassic Park growing up and then my generation reached our 20s, read a little Naomi Klein, a little Noam Chomsky perhaps, realised our cool cousin was maybe a bit of a bully when it came to international affairs, but still for many of us, especially in the film industry, the US was still where we went when we wanted to work to pursue the dreams of our youth and now to see from a distance how adult it has been by foreign meddling and how it hits itself over the head with schizophrenic partisanship, how it argues with itself like a homeless person on skid row, self-harming with one hand at the shame wrought by its own capitalistic model while smashing open a Gucci store with the other. It's uh, it's destabilising, it's disturbing. The self-appointed world's policeman since I was a child, the World War II ally and the buffer in the Pacific against Chinese influence, is now fighting itself, and it seems will be for some time. And every moment I log into the giant approval rating system that I willingly subject myself to, called Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, I see one person shared a video outraged about someone being hurt, and another person has responded that the whole video isn't shown and that that, that person deserved it because they attacked first, and yet another person has responded they only attacked first because of another part of the video that wasn't shown, and it goes on and on and I hit my stimulation limit about two days ago, and I wandered around with a vague sense of nausea and unfocused eyes and deadened brain endings like charred sparklers lying on a grassy lawn the day after a child's birthday party. In other words, life goes on, and Australis have yet another player stepping in right now to their ever-expanding guess-who of roster, um, Zipix has taken a break of unknown length for burnout reasons, which appeared to leave Australis management somewhat in the lurch. With Tag still not released from his heroic contract, they contacted Tiger, who, if you recall, had just signed Snappy. I think we spoke about it last week or week before. So Tiger are now learning Snappy out to Australis because, according to DK, they'd already paid his buyout. And what this means for Smuya, who was also supposed to be moving to Tiger with Snappy, is unclear. It's also unclear whether they bought these players before their good results or after. And furthermore, it is very, very unclear where the hell this team would be based. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of Tiger, though, especially considering... Now, I can't verify whether this is actually in place or not, but it was reported back in November by dozens of news outlets, like the BBC and Vice and whatnot, that China was implementing a 90-minute-per-day limit for video gaming and also cracking down... Um, on gaming between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. for everyone who is under 18, which means that Tiger's biggest regional competitor, which ostensibly is represented by uh, Tai Lu, who they beat in the Road to Rio Asia finals, they're going to be even less competitive when it comes to young players rising up in the ranks, and Tiger might see its dominance continue in the region. Now back to Zipix. I can only assume that old mate, a.k.a. Uh, Clutch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a.k.a. the Flying Clutchman, a.k.a. Starsky and Clutch, was rolling up his sleeves for yet another round of dominating concentration 
as Australis headed into Blast Spring Europe, incidentally, which begins tonight. When his Motorola X pinged in his clutch purse, he pulled it out, saw a notification from Glaive's Instagram, and delicately unlocked it with a swipe of his curiously long digit, only to be met with the rude shock of an Insta story of Lucas Rossander sitting at home in his Jack and Jones man lingerie playing Animal Crossing and eating iced Vovos for breakfast. Flooded with envy, Zipnix pro- promptly sent Zonic a text saying, Dude, I'm out. Till Road to Rio. He whipped off his snap button Astralis trackies and ran himself a three-month bubble bath. And good for him. Good for him. I guess that's why they were getting in players, as they said all along. And old mate has uh, taken some of that holiday leave he's been accruing. Woken from his hibernating sleep in his cave in the Rocky Mountains of North Denmark, Zonic read the text and let out a bellow of jealousy that echoed across the valley, disturbing some nearby campers who recognised the sounds of an irate grizzly when they heard it and promptly fled, leaving their Hunsekuls Sorbe steaming on the campfire stove. Now, over in NA, meanwhile, the prophecy, as it was foretold, has come to pass, and I'm a pet has joined 100 Thieves as their coach and Statman John. The most shocking thing about this was his admission that first conversations with Azza and the boys, as they are known in capitalised form by everyone in this country from ScoMo down, revealed a curious lack of VOD reviews of, and I quote from an interview with HLTV, both themselves or other teams. Now, if this is indeed the case and they've still been getting the fairly good results they've been getting, I think we can safely say that 100 Thieves are going to win the major come Rio time. Still in the United States of what the hell is going on, Leaf decided that Pascal was full of shit and returned to his slot in chaos after dipping his toes in negotiations with Cloud9's blustery Valorant management and finding the water a, a few degrees too nippy. He's returned to the lineup, replacing Voltage, making this Chaos's 47th roster change since last Friday. We saw the Gamers Without Borders clash happen this week with a ton of money supposedly going to charity. The most notable thing about this was the games were MR12, meaning it was first to 12 rounds instead of 16. This definitely felt like the right move for me when it came to the best of threes, and especially in the grand final, which was a best of five between Na'Vi and Mouseports, but Na'Vi eventually won. But when it comes to best of ones, I think I prefer the uh, the full 16 rounds. Now, finally, we saw uh, more DreamHack Masters Spring happening this week with Furia and 100 Thieves coming out on top in North America and G2, Na'Vi, Big and FaZe on the European side. FaZe are, of course, now playing with Bimus, who's not necessarily been as calm and stone-cold and as uh, T2000 as Brokey had been, but certainly not been under-fragging. There's approximately 1,000 more games to go for those two tournaments, so you've got no excuse to be bored for the next week. Um, and I expect at least one of you will be reach out to me uh, having some sort of CSGO-related meltdown, and we can um, compare notes. Now, the Blast Premier Spring Showdown starts tonight as well, as I mentioned before. That is also split up into Europe and North American contingencies uh, due to some sort of virus that's going around. This is happening with all the usual suspects competing, including four who qualified through regional cups in Europe. That's, of, uh, of course, Ents, Dignitas, Virtus Pro, and Saw. Now, Saw, or SAW, if you're not aware of who they are, they're a five-month-old team from Portugal. They actually 3 owed movie star riders to get here. I think they also beat Giants on the way. So they could be a fun team to get to know at this tournament uh, playing against the big dogs. And on the NA side of things, it's Triumph, who are the underdogs. Uh, Triumph, the underdog. Uh <laughs> They're the underdogs over there. They're ranked at number 50, but they're getting props from people in the scene who are famous for having an eye on those things, like Daddy Daps. Now, that's as far as the headlines really go, so let's move on to this interview. And it's with an old-school mate of mine called Jeremy Ray, a.k.a. the Junglist, or the Junglist, if you are from the uh, Scandinavian side of things. His Twitter describes himself as a former managing editor at Fandom, but if you're about my age, you probably know him from ABC TV's Good Game which was Australia's first and best show about video gaming back in the early noughties. He made Game Arena's 5-inch floppy and was a local source king back when Source was the hottest property in town. He's used the lockdown time to write a script that automatically clips highlights from pro matches and he's been doing a great series of recaps and highlights at his YouTube channel, CSGO Highlights with Junglist, 
<laughs> with Junglist, which I'll link to in the description. Now, he's one of the most eloquent and thoughtful guys in the scene, and he's so thoughtful, in fact, that you'll hear that I struggle to muster the brain cells to comprehend his ideas about seeing the game through a new lens. And I apologize if you bloody intelligent listeners out there work out what he's saying far before I do because I ask him to repeat it a couple of times. We do have a great chat and we see eye to eye on a lot of things, including some of the ways the CS experience could be improved. And we both enjoy putting the spiked boot into the entire concept of loot boxes. So without further ado, here's the evergreen renaissance nerd junglist. I sort of played Counter-Strike uh, obviously a lot through the 1.6 days, but then massively through Source. Through Source was the time that I played Counter-Strike competitively. And um, we, uh, we had a team called F-Bang that did quite well. We got to the top of the, the, the both Counter-Strike ladders that existed at the time, um, which was Game Space and Game Arena. And... Um, yeah, so we were at the top of there simultaneously. And then after that, uh, we kind of um, said, okay, that's enough. We <laughs> Even before we got to that number one spot, we were like, oh, we're kind of over it. Uh, so we just wanted to get to number one and just be like, okay, we did it. Um, and then after that, yeah, I went to work for uh, the ABC, um, started a gaming show uh, with myself and another woman. We were, um, we were like uh, just sort of a national magazine show just about video games in general um although we did do some esports content uh i think we i believe we had the first uh nationally broadcasted uh esports match uh which was a counter-strike match and we had uh, australia's team immunity for that one um that was in our first season uh and then uh, yeah that uh that was a while ago so since then i've been doing a lot of freelancing and a lot of game reviewing uh there's a a telco in Australia called Telstra that I did a video game review show for for about three years, and um, yeah, I was the uh, the managing editor of Fandom Fandom dot com for uh, two years up until the end of last year, and uh, now I'm just freelancing again and making some Counter Strike content for Desert Two, um, but uh, also in general just you know being a Renaissance nerd and chasing a whole bunch of different projects. So we were just talking about the games that have been going on this week and what's happening with everything going online and the lands being a bit disrupted. And you mentioned you might have a bit of a crazy idea. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, this my my sort of... And this is one of those things where it's like, you know, it pops into your head and you're not really sure if, if other people have, have already thought of it and, you know, maybe they've already thought of it and dismissed it and maybe, uh, you know, it's something that everybody thinks about. I don't know. It's um, I, I I sort of think of Counter Strike rounds in a little bit of a different way, like in terms of our scoring system, um, which is I, I think of it a bit more like tennis. And maybe this is crazy. Like maybe this is just you know bonkers, and and someone will shoot me down. Um, but um, and please do because you know hey, you know, let's all all ideas need to be tested. Um, sure. But uh, I think of you know the the economic system in Counter Strike as kind of like uh like once you push someone all the way to the point of uh being at max loss bonus uh mm -hmm. that that like every round that you win beyond that i sort of call in my head i've been calling it a break round and like we talk very generally about like how economies are broken in counter strike but we kind of when we say that we we kind of just vaguely mean that they're broke and they don't have enough money to buy rifles and ops and they need to eco for like one or two rounds. Like that's that's generally what we mean when we're saying like we've, we've broken their economy. But I mean it in a more sort of like quantifiable sense of like they're you know you put the push them to max loss bonus, and you're still winning rounds. And those those are break rounds. And what the other when the thing about break rounds is when you get like one or two or three. Like as soon as you start getting them, it forces the other team to then get an equal number of break rounds to tie the match. Unless, you know, some, some weird stuff can happen where it's like if it happens at the end of a half or uh, also, you know, there's that thing where like if you win two rounds in a row, it sort of like resets it a bit. Um, but uh, so, you know, there's a few caveats there, but it's, I think of it, it's, it's sort of like tennis where it's like, you know, if you break someone, they, it, it puts the onus on them 
to then break you back. Otherwise, they can't win uh, that that set or whatever. Right. So wait, wait. You, is this a proposal of yours? I mean, kind of. It's it's for I'm me. It's just kind of like how I've been thinking about it. Like I've and you know I've been like wondering if like like I'm not proposing a different scoring system, but I'm just sort of proposing like a different way of thinking of it. Like um, you know, if like obviously. You know, if if you've pushed someone to max loss bonus and you're winning rounds, uh, it's it's like every round that you win beyond that point starts to have more weight. And like, you know, I don't know who this would be useful to, like maybe like betting companies. Maybe they've already thought of it and maybe they're it's already in their calculations for, you know, who's gonna win a match and stuff like that. But um, what do you mean it has more weight though? So like if, I mean if you've pushed someone to max loss bonus and then you're still winning rounds. It has, yeah. to me, it has more weight than a round that you would win, like just the, the first two rounds. Because, because the chance that you will win the next one is still, is higher. Is that what uh, it's, it's actually the opposite. It's it, because the chance of you winning, continuing to win those rounds should go down because then they've, they've got more of a, a loss bonus and they've got more of a, it's handicaps the wrong word, but you know, they're, they're being assisted more by the economy system. Um, but what it does is it forces them. So it's like if you if you if you win two break rounds, right? If you've pushed them to max loss bonus and you win one break round and then you win two break rounds, um, they're not going to win unless they do the same to you. Yeah, but isn't so? so just just go back a second. If they're at max loss bonus, then their loss bonus doesn't actually go up in the next round, right? That's right. Yeah. So then, why would your chance of winning decrease? The it's, next round. it's purely by virtue of being at that point where they're getting so much extra money. Um, like you, like they're going to get more money than losing the, the first round or the second round. So they have yep. more of a chance to bounce back. And okay, but not, but once they're at max loss bonus, it doesn't increase, right? So if they're at max loss bonus the last round, they're not going to get more money than they did the round before. That's right. Yeah. So they, I mean, maybe they're at a point where they can buy rifles almost every round. Um, like every second round or something like that. Mm. Um, but uh, they're going to be able to have more goes of it, which means there's more of a chance for them to like take one or two rounds off you mm. uh, because they're not going to be as... Because like when we say broken in the traditional sense, we mean, oh, geez, their, their economy is really broken. They're going to have to eco for like two rounds at this point before they can even have a chance to get back in this. When they're at max mm. loss round bonus, they can have more goes of it. Um, but the, the chances, like if you, if you break them in this way, if you, if you start winning break rounds, the chances of you winning the game, the whole match, uh, goes up more significantly than if it were a normal round. And I think that's something that you could factor into like betting calculations and things like that. Like, I mean, it's on the surface, it seems like common sense. Cause it's like, if you push them to max loss bonus and you're still winning rounds, then you're already like what seven nil or something like that. So it's a bit of a no-brainer to say like, oh, well, they're, you know, the chances are they're going to win the match. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> that's obviously right. not rocket science. But I think like the, every round that you win beyond that point uh, at max loss bonus, it, it weighs more because it forces the other team to do the same as you. So like say, uh, say you've already won two break rounds, like they're not going to get back in it unless they do it. And then that's a long, that's a long road. You know, that's like they have to push you to max loss bonus and then they have to win two rounds unless they like finagle it. So, you know, you can you can kind of technically finagle it. So like you push them to max loss bonus and then they win two rounds and it resets and then you start winning more rounds like that can happen. Uh, but it's not like anyone. I don't think anyone would intentionally manipulate the economy in that way. It's like you just you just always want to be winning rounds. Jeremy, I have been up until 4.30 a.m. for the last two nights watching <laughs> Riot videos on Reddit. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, it's crazy at the moment, isn't it? My brain is cooked. I'm not sure whether it's because of that or because I'm just not a uh, a probabilities guy. But what am I not getting here? Like, why is this? What's the significance of this to, to bettors or gambling companies or even just people talking about the game? Well, I would say, I mean, to betters, and this this is probably the most cl the clearest use case that I've uh, have thought of, or like, you know, if you if you're just maybe just generally interested in like the percentage chance of a team winning a match beyond a certain point, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it would be like, you know, if you, if you factor these breakgrounds into the calculations, like uh, they would have more weight over that percentage chance to win a match. If you've, if you've broken their economy, push them to max loss bonus and then continue to win rounds after that, each round after that has more weight in my view. Um, so, you know, on, on the, on the surface, it, it kind of like, like you could just completely ignore it and you could just say, well, it's eight, two and the team that has eight rounds sure looks like they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's true too. Uh, but in a mathematical sense, I think like, you know, there's a little bit more happening under the hood. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, it's an, it, it, maybe we'll get, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe it'll get shot down. I pitched this to Desert 2 as kind of like an idea to make a video about. And, mm. uh, I don't, they weren't very interested. They were like, yeah, what about, what about the next pitch? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Have you, did you see the, um, Gamers Without Borders games last night? Yeah. I was watching a little bit of that. Yeah. It was interesting. They were playing, uh, to first to 12. Yeah, which, yeah. Which actually made the whole thing feel a little more, like actually not a little more, a, a lot more uh, kind of intense and fast. Yeah, it's it's fun to see these things being experimented with because I remember like Counter Strike has a long history of like rejecting these changes, <laughs> mm. and um, like I remember when the Championship Gaming Series came around the CGS and like they were experimenting with different things to make it more accessible. And, um, like they, there were, I remember like different tournaments like that would experiment with things like MR 12 or like, you know, maybe even a, like MR nine and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like holy would be rejected by the community in the same way that like, you know, there were big backlashes all throughout the, like when the world cyber games took on source instead of 1.6, oh, the backlash was huge. Um, but like, I mean, the, the Counter-Strike community, it can be just really slow to, uh, to be welcoming of these changes. Like there, mm. there are, I mean, if you only need to look at the AUG and the, the Krieg as examples of like the Counter-Strike community not catching on, right? Like it took mm. those economic nudges from Valve for everyone to realize, oh yeah, this, this weapon's actually good, but, but it's been there the whole time. Like it's been there for years. Crazy. You know, it's just mob mentality. Like people don't want to be the one to try it out in a competitive match and look silly. Although there were players, I'll say, like there were players like Chris J, who were like always using the Krieg. Yeah, big brain Chris J. You know what I've been thinking about? What actually would you change right now about the game? Because I've I've been playing it again recently, and I don't. Maybe it's just where I'm at with my life or with COVID or something. I don't. I don't. Oh, there's something missing there for me right now. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I did have, you know, there's that push for accountability online. Some of the commentators on what's happening right now with social media and the way that they're really in a very difficult place between being a publisher and a platform. Oh, yeah. Believe that the way to actually solve all of this is to tie people's accounts to uh, basically their own identity so that almost every account in some way is verified and that that would stop a lot of fake news toxicity slander trolling all that kind of thing and i was thinking about this last night because we had a game that went so um angry so quickly and there were two guys insulting each other in the most horrible way one of these guys was um, a guy I was playing with is about 35, I think 34. And the other guy was <laughs> sounded like he was about 22. And the things that were saying to each other were unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the team were just kind of quiet while these two slogged it out as if they were mortal enemies. And it's like, if this, if your accounts were tied to who you actually were, would you be saying these kind of things to each other? Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always, it's always been a problem with certain games right and i don't i don't have the solution to that one i know like i mean i i I feel like as soon as they brought in the prime thing and they tied accounts to mobile numbers and stuff like that uh, i feel like my games got better like i feel like i was automatically being matched with people who were a bit less toxic Mm, but there's also this thing in any game where you you die and you have to wait where like i i think you could correlate 
like toxicity with any game where you you are somehow defeated and you then have are forced to wait like 60 seconds before you can participate again because you instantly have the rage of being killed and then in other games you know i, I bring into this like moba games and stuff like that as well where it's like then you have an, an even added thing where it's like not only have you been killed but you've actually fed the enemy resources and then your team might start seeing you as like a weak link in a feeder. And then you have nothing to do but sit behind your keyboard for 60 seconds and vent that frustration through the only the only means necessary, right? Which is either verbally or textually. So um, I don't know, these, these types of games seem to carry the more toxic communities. So there's a bit mm. of social engineering there. I, I do wonder like um, if, if you could sort of make the players somehow involved in the gameplay a little bit more like uh, rainbow six siege experimented a bit with this where they had um uh the security cameras um that you would you would sort of operate when you die um no that's interesting because they this type of research has been done like not in a, a esports or video game setting but it's been done in like a uh a retail setting and like a, like a real life psychology type of setting where it's like, you know, they've done this type of research in airports and fast food restaurants and stuff like that, where they look at what frustrates people and mm. have something to keep you busy. You are less toxic. So it's like, um, you know, they would in airports, sometimes airports are deliberately designed to be less efficient because, you know, it forces you to walk from one gate to the other. Because if you're walking, you're busy and you're not toxic. But if your gate was right next to the gate where you arrived, then you're doing nothing but waiting. And then the, they can, like they, they've gotten people to rate their levels of frustration. And your frustration is higher if you're just waiting with nothing to do. So, mm. I don't know, we can maybe adapt some of that in, into the video game space. And um, That's fascinating. Yeah, like the Rainbow Six Siege is the only one that I've kind of seen tried to do something like that with the, the security cameras, but... There was a mod with Killing Floor where you, when you died, you became a UFO over someone's head and you could shoot, <laughs> you could help them out with some fi little firepower. You know, you didn't do much, but if 20 of you were dead, then actually you could kind of help out a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, give me something to do fun. that's mm. like, and you know, if it's a positive thing to do, then even better. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and I don't know what it would be in Counter-Strike. Uh, obviously you have to keep it, competitively balanced um but you know it's like hey when the when the astralis members die their job's not over yeah that's the thing if if you're invested in the team you're still calling out info yeah and that's what the security camera things were supposed to be mm. uh in rainbow six although if you are a good player in rainbow six then you're shooting the security cams so they can't operate anymore um but yeah so i don't know i, I would i would change that in terms to like to answer your question that's that's one thing I would try, but um, uh, there's there's a few things about the game that I also don't like that I would fix. Which, like um, what? Uh, in terms of the competitive, like I've got a, a pet peeve like for the competitive space and for just the general space. Like for the the competitive space, it would be uh, more maps and more community content. Um, to sort of like I feel like Counter Strike's main advantage over something like Valorant or Overwatch is that those games cannot compete with the speed at which Counter-Strike can release com competition quality content. And that's because the content's made by uh, the community and it's, it's tested by the community and it goes through a long process of, of being rated and you know, feedback and before Valve even has to touch it. So um, that's, that's a main advantage that we have. So we could have more maps coming into the pool uh, I mean, there's, you know, they've got like new ones coming in all the time, like Anubis and stuff like that, but none that are like seen, uh, they, like it's pretty rare to see a new one come into the, the real competitive space. Mm. Um, so it might force a little bit more improvisation. Whenever something new comes in like that, the pros always quite like it. Like they like changes to the game because um, they've been playing this game for, you know, 20 years, just like I have. But um and uh, that that would be the competitive space for the the general space. I really don't like the um, the roulette system of opening cases. I really don't like the simulated gambling that Counter Strike does. 
And uh, I know some players like it, but to me, it's um, it is it's unregulated gambling targeted at all ages, including children. Um, I think the aesthetics of gambling are just as important as the mechanics of gambling, just as important as the reward. And uh, certain brains are vulnerable to to that kind of uh, system, to that kind of uh, aesthetic input, and it's it's very much preying on them. So uh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of loot boxes in general. So you know, I'm not just applying this to Counter Strike. <laughs> I'm very anti loot box. Um, yeah, as I'm you with know, you on that. It is is 100% gambling, and the only reason it exists is uh, due to current legal loopholes. And uh, some countries have already started shutting that down, like Bel- Belgium and the Netherlands. Um, and uh, other regions have said, well, we want to shut this down, but currently we can't because it, it exists in a legal sort of loophole or limbo like the UK basically said, yeah, it's gambling, but uh, we we have very rigid definitions of gambling in our legislation at the moment, which is quite common. It's common, like it happens in Australia as well. Like in, in many regions, gambling is defined by specific game names like uh, they will actually say poker or roulette or mm. fruit machines or pokey machines. So that's how gambling is defined in a lot of places. So um, the legislation very much needs to catch up to the technology uh, on that point. I was playing uh, Roblox the other day with my little nephew. Mm. It's like his favorite game. And we were playing this thing called Treasure Simulator, I think it's called. And basically the whole aim of the game is to dig <laughs> down just blocks of sand it's a bit like minecraft and then you get treasure and then you use that treasure to pay for what seems to be like loot boxes Mm. and this kid was just churning this like for hours on end and i was horrified yeah It, it, it was it was it's essentially just getting a kid hooked on a poker machine like a fucking seven year old kid and then i looked at who'd made this game and it was a 17-year-old who was now, you know, a millionaire somewhere in, I don't know, Nevada or something. And it was like, now there's kids making gambling games for other younger kids. to It just felt yeah. like, what it's, the absolute fuck? There's like a, you know, there's a percentage of people. And I'm one of them, by the way. Like, so I know what it's like. Where it's just like our brains are, uh, are, are very vulnerable to that kind of system. And it's it's a behavioral reward, yeah. Thing, yeah. And um, like yeah, I was in a net cafe, uh, and by the way, that's the reason we have gambling legislation in the first place. Is so, you know, I mean, some people take a more uh, capitalist sort of nihilistic view towards it. I don't know if you can hear those sirens in the background. I'm sorry if you can. Um, (laughs) but, uh, and some people are just pure capitalists about it. And it's like, well, if they waste their money, it's their fault. But, you know, this is the, it's the reason we have legislation is we acknowledge that, you know, something under just under 10% of the population is quite vulnerable to this and we legislate and we have gambling warnings so that certain companies can't purposefully prey on those people. And, uh, you know, then, you know, that's, those are adults. Like we, we shouldn't even need to take it to the point where we're arguing on, on behalf of children. Uh, because even even with like if we're just talking about adults, it still needs to be legislated. But uh, yeah, once you then factor in that video games are also targeting kids, and um, like yeah, I was at a land cafe uh, pre-coronavirus. It was um, I, don't know, I don't know how many months ago, but uh, there was like a oh, it must have been like 15 year old kid just sitting right behind me. I was with uh, I was with a couple of old schoolmates. Um, you know, <laughs> Redshaw and, and Shepard. No um, way. Yeah, yeah. We were at the, the land cap. <laughs> we were just playing some Counter-Strike and some AoE 2. That's awesome. And um, yeah, this kid right behind us was just uh, opening cases just just for hours. And wow. like he was, um, like his friends just weren't interested. Like his friends were just like playing the game. And then he would occasionally like turn to his friends and go, oh, I almost got a knife. And <laughs> like just case after oh case. Two dollars fifty, two dollars fifty, oh. and uh, yeah, it's I don't know, it, it can grab some people. So I'm very much not a fan. I'm, I'm very much not a fan of how a lot of the sponsors in the Counter Strike space are gambling companies. Like if you look, at, I think there was a tournament a couple of tournaments ago where it felt like eighty percent of the sponsors involved. If you if you count the event and all the teams, like yeah. 
like some ridiculous percentage were of gambling companies. So I yeah, it's I, out of control. Yeah, I applaud the YouTubers like Warrell and Three Clicks Fill Up and stuff like that who just deliberately don't um, yeah. engage. With also, that. also the the occasional podcast you know that doesn't um, yeah like, uh, <laughs> can't like, forget uh, <laughs> yeah a beacon, you know what a pillar you know, of the community. I mean, it always makes me think about this idea of like how much we regulate this stuff. I think it was um, Mayor Bloomberg who tried to remove, like, um, how do you say it? Illegalize, ban the sale of gallon sodas in New York. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Because it's like, all right, you, great, you can have the freedom to drink whatever you want, but why encourage those people who can't help themselves yeah the whales they're like the whales of um, <laughs> you know to use gambling terminology so do whales yeah, yeah yeah um maybe in more ways than one yeah it's 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 a fascinating thing isn't it to think about like how much we kind of should be able to trust ourselves i've also been thinking recently about i don't know if you've read the um 12 rules for life book by jordan peterson i haven't i've heard a bit about it but i haven't read it now Okay, well, one of the rules in there is don't let your kids do anything that would make you dislike them. But I've been thinking a lot about how I've been acting during COVID, and I think I could also apply that to myself because I've been doing things that make me dislike myself. And generally it comes down to, you know that feeling? Generally it comes down to choosing sort of short-term dopamine rewards over what I I am positive are my long-term goals. And... If someone were to be able to regulate those for me uh, in a way that was um, non-intrusive but firm, I would probably take them up on that. I've talked about in this podcast before having some sort of um, artificial intelligence in your brain that either blocks dopamine receptors for certain things or helps you identify when a decision you're making is not necessarily in line with what you want. They're doing studies now that... um, in rats that reduce the amount of pleasure they get from uh, cocaine. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I would probably be one of the ones to jump at that. Yeah. But then you get into like a philosophical question of like, have you lived your own life? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a similar in that. Yeah. But, 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 but we are, but we are, sorry. One last thing we are, we are, I'm already in that philosophical question of how, have I lived my own life? Because let's say I get to the end of my life and I look at my Steam account. I've spent two thousand hours on Counter Strike. <laughs> is that my own life? You know what yeah, I mean. Like, yeah. have I actually lived my own life then? And let's say, and, and and I haven't. But let's say I've spent thousands of dollars on cases. Have I spent my own money? Have I really made mm. my own decisions? Yeah, it's have like you, just... you've lived your life, but it wasn't your best life. Like you look at it at the end, and you go, like, it was a shit life, but it was mine. <laughs> like I opened a lot of cases. And I yeah. got one knife a, for every two thousand cases, but man, yeah. what a knife! What an inventory, he says in his last <laughs> breath. Yeah, before his account his account gets banned, before his account suspended. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm similar. Like, yeah, I I I don't have it all figured out. I'm weird in that. Like, um, I I yeah, I, I operate well when there's structure, and I'm when when it comes to work, I'm very good at implementing that structure. Uh, when it comes to like personal stuff. Or like you know, personal finances, or like personal taxes, or like for the, you know, I'm I'm terrible at implementing that structure. So um, I don't know. Sometimes it's yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, just to bring it back around to like, to like how much we would want that to be regulated, like the Coke stuff. Like I I don't know. I don't have the like I'm I'm kind of a fan of the idea of taxing stuff like that. Like just mm-hmm. making sure like it's it's a bit of a it's not like a hard limit, but it's like a soft sort of like there's a cost to this kind of thing, you know? It's I, I I often think about like sweet things and chocolate. I just don't buy them anymore because I know I'll eat them. And I'll sometimes be at home and be like, fuck, I really want some chocolate. And then I'm like, well, there's none in the house. And then I'm too lazy to go and get some, so I don't. Mm. Yeah. So it's a net positive, even though like <laughs> I'm kind of annoyed. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For me, it has to be all or nothing with with, with anything like that. It has to be all yeah. or nothing. So for for me right now, pure example, I'm doing keto. Okay. Because if there were any chocolate in the house, I'd be eating it. Right. You know, I just have to go purely 100% the other way, no carbs, no sugar. And, and that does feel like at some point you you set an adult example for yourself or rule for yourself so that later on when your child comes out and wants to 
fuck around. You can be like, no, 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 it's too late. You've yeah. already made the rules. They've been made. I've made enough mistakes for the two of us. So I'm sorry. All the mistakes are done. <laughs> exactly. They've been spent. You've filled your quota. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think about, uh, okay, you've got the variability of loot boxes and the variability of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the gambling that's being promoted. But then you look at like the win rate, right? And you look at even the, the greatest team of all time, their win rates on maps or for three months or for years and stuff is only like 62% or something at, at its highest level, mm. you know, across a long period of time. And every time you, you play a game, there's rarely a game where you would die less than, say, 10 times out of, you know, 30 rounds or so. Mm. There's never a time when you really are really unbelievably winning at this game. You're always prey to a very high probability of of loss mm. and sometimes i feel like counter-strike is is just a giant variable delivery system do you think it's actually dopamine. random well not that it's random but it's so it it's it's let's say you've got the 10 seconds before you start a round and then let's say on average you've maybe got 25 30 seconds before you have an encounter and then in that space of maybe one or two seconds the amount of probability of dying or not is around about 50 percent over time the gaben butterfly effect (laughs) (laughs) a a slight a slight change in the first 25 seconds can affect the whole round in the whole match there's very few things in my life that are 50 percent probability of success yeah that five like a five percent sort of change is is like huge it's monumental um when we were charting the the og changes like i think average ct win rates went up from like i don't know 53 55 percent to like 60 percent or something like that for the uh the biggest tournaments right after the og change mm-hmm. um yeah i guess like the the i mean the biggest things you can point to in terms of dominance are like when uh, like Astralis would be go on like a 24 map nuke streak or something like where they just wouldn't lose on nuke for ages. But, yeah, but um, what I'm, well, I guess what I'm getting at is like uh, 99% of my life I'm doing things that are far lower in terms of their risk reward than mm. the average round of Counter-Strike, right? Mm-hmm. I the see. closest thing, you get what I'm saying? Like so the you're, closest are you thing, saying you get like a similar dopamine release to that faux randomness at the start of the round yeah yeah if the rate of success was higher let's say you're smurfing you get pretty bored pretty quickly and if it was lower you'd be like well screw this game yeah that's right that's, well, yeah, the that, that's so the flow important. zone right that's when the, you're um, winning everything no that's the like uh in game design there's like that um there's a chart where uh, you know, if things are a little bit too easy, uh, that's boring. If things are a little bit too hard, that's frustrating. But if you're going up and to the right at just the right trajectory, you're in the flow zone where it's uh, it's just the right amount of, of challenging. And um, and that's fun. And, and like, and if you are in that flow, like in this context with what we're talking about, if you're in that flow zone, that sort of by definition correlates perfectly with a... I don't know, maybe like a 50, maybe not 50% winning dual rate, but like maybe 55%, like like 55% mm. would feel a lot better than 50% uh, in terms mm. of winning duels. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting that it's like, if you are like, if the game matchmaking has done its job and you're up against the right people and you're in a flow state, then you're only winning like 50% of, of your duels. Yeah, it's a little creepy, but then again, I think about like the career I've chosen and the probability of being a. I think a I think it's some um, a WGA accredited employed screenwriter for one year is is uh, lower than the probability of playing for the NBA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually pursuing something with massive odds stacked against me on a daily basis. Yeah, everything. I mean, if you're a content creator in this... You would be too, right, in some ways. Yeah, like if you... 
if you're just even if just a journalist, you know, like mm-hmm. um, there are certain fields at the moment that are uh, they're not doing too well. Like media is not doing too well. Like I've, but and for you know we still we still do it even in our own spare time. Like you make a Counter Strike podcast in your spare time. I make a Counter Strike YouTube channel for that does Counter Strike highlights in my spare time. Uh, there's not even any thought of success with that. Mm. <laughs> like we just do yeah. it. Because <laughs> we can't, man. yeah, we can't stop. We have to be making things. I'm just, I'm so fascinated by that, by that idea of like how much reward you're expecting and what, what keeps you going with things. Yeah, and there's like a little bit of like actual randomness at the start of every, even esports has like some RNG. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, whether it's like it has to be manageable and it has to be small, but like. Um, your spawn positions at the start of a round. Um, yeah, very, very good point. Yeah, and like in in COD, it would be like similar. Like in in Call of Duty, like domination mode, like your spawn positions are a little bit more random. Um, but uh, in Counter Strike, and you know, there's a little bit of RNG with the shots as well, uh, just a tiny bit. But um, yeah, that that affects the strategy that you put into play at the start of that round. Probably like less so in CS:GO, but I remember in 1.6 and Source, like, uh, and still sometimes in CS:GO, like you know, you you all spawn, like if you're terrorist on Dust2 and you all get a good B spawn, you might you might go for that rush, <laughs> right? Like, mm. you're not going to do it if you spawn long A side, but it affects what you do. You know what? I think I've I've been so bad at Counter-Strike since lockdown, like abysmal. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm a definite silver right now. Right. Um, maybe silver elite master, but that I'd be scraping scraping in there. Mm. And I think it comes down to that idea that there is enough certainty in the rest of my life that I don't mind throwing a bit of, uh, throwing some dice with a game like CS. Mm-hmm. Because if, if, if you're completely uncertain and your life's a bit out of control, not my life's out of control, but I just don't have the same things lined up. And with that stability that I usually have, a, a game of Counter-Strike matters a bit less and you're able to focus on it a lot more. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting anyway. perspective. I um, I have kind of, I don't know, like kind of the opposite sort of like when I look, when I sit down on my computer and I think about loading up Counter-Strike, I don't know if I, if I can't exercise a degree of mastery over the game that I'm almost not interested. And I'm, I'm probably about like, I'm, I'm definitely a silver at the moment, mm-hmm. like mechanically hundred percent, maybe clue a little bit higher, but um, I look at some games, not just Counter-Strike, but some games in general. And I, and I look at my schedule and I'm like, okay, that's a cool looking game but mechanically i am just not willing to invest the time to be good at it uh therefore probably not going to play it even though it's like a great game and like mm-hmm. deserves to be played but like yeah i mean with counter-strike like i still jump in i mostly do gun game these days um just because like i've heard of people doing that what is that that's not a recent mode right no i mean it used to be an old mod uh and now it's um now it's like in the main game it's like an official mode mm-hmm. um but it's fun you know it's, it's it's just jump in and have a bit of fun mode um because like like i could join in i could join some competitive jump in with some silvers i think i'm actually like i don't know gold nova at the moment but um i could do that but then it's like to me that's just like the start of a long road and it's a it's a long road that i'm not willing to walk down at the moment because like I want to play games that uh that make me learn a bit more that have new ideas and I yeah. know like after playing it like like you know a, a decent level like we were at the top of the Australian letters which is like it doesn't mean a hell of a lot globally especially for that time but um you know the there's like a certain once you get to a certain mechanical level you can do things that have a, a a large effect on the strategy of the game, right? So it's the same as boxing, it's the same as tennis, stuff like that. Like boxing is like there's this 80% conditioning thing that you have to get over first before strategy even comes into play. And it's like I view that similar to Counter-Strike where it's like uh, if I'm sitting long A with like, you know, a rifle 
um, like, and, and if he's going to do like a, like a, a normal peak or a wide peak or something like that, I need to reliably be able to kill him. Uh, if he, if he does that peak and I'm sitting there, um, otherwise it changes the whole strategy of the game if I can't. Right. Mm. So like mm. if, as soon as you have like five team members who can do reliably do something like that, the whole shape of the game changes and I am not at that level, which means, you know, it's like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> like, why am I? Yeah. It feels like a waste of time, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mm. I used to be, it was fun. Like, <laughs> but it took a lot of practice, man. It's like, you know, if you can't like, like if someone's coming around the corner and they mechanically have, have the disadvantage and if they can still kill you, like you need to get, get to a stage where that's not the case before you're playing this game. Like seriously, if you know what I mean? The only way I can get kills right now is by hiding in corners on off angles and waiting for the other <laughs> yeah. silvers to, yeah. to rush. I'm way too <laughs> reliant on the off angle at the moment. Way too <laughs> reliant on it. Well, I'll surprise him if I crouch here. Like, exactly. <laughs> he won't expect Because that. I'll know I'll need like a good two seconds to spray to get them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> missing them and finally finding the body. It's a Sunday. It's a beautiful day outside, but we are inside. Do you want to have, do you want to have a silver game? <laughs> sure, yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, let's let's end this interview and go and <laughs> bottom frag on some four. We can record minutes. it so everyone can like see exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, I'll do a postscript to this with, and I'll uh, update everyone how we went. How not to play? Yeah, I've been playing on uh, quote unquote a Smurf, which is definitely not um, <laughs> like a, definitely not a, a silver smurfing in silver. Yeah. Look out! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So we did play a game of Mirage. Uh, Junglist and I both top fragged with 40 frags each and were promptly ranked up from silver to global. We have subsequently opened discussions with Australis Management. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support it at patreon.com slash thetruthcsgo. You can retweet the episodes. That helps as does upvoting on Reddit or leaving a review on your podcast catcher of choice. Music in this podcast uh, was by Beaufort. You can get in touch at the truth at thetruthcsgo.com if you feel like playing some MM and pretending to smurf in silver or want to help the pod or just have something to say about CSGO. Let me know. Until next time, enjoy the game. Enjoy the game.